0: Our passage this morning comes to us from the letter from Paul to the Romans, chapter 1, which is on page 939 in the Red Pew Bible. We start chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. God. We're going to go down then to verse 11, 15, I'm sorry. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God.
1: I'm so astounded uh, how God's word is, is a unity. From the very first verses of Genesis to the last verses of Revelation, it's one story. One story of salvation history, of God longing to be back in relationship with you, with his beloved children, with this amazing provision that he made with his only begotten son. You might not have been with us, but in the seven weeks coming up to Easter, we studied together the life of his son, in particular... The, the calling of his son to himself and the temptations which he which he underwent on our behalf but you'll remember that at the very beginning of that time God pronounced at the beginning of Jesus ministry to Jesus and people that were around him John the Baptist heard you are my beloved son right and and Jesus had this this treasure the next three years as he as He made a way for us to come in right relationship with God, this treasure knowing Himself that He was God's beloved Son. But, but when did the world discover that, right? Oh, many believed it by faith along the journey. Well, I say many, but there weren't too many at the, at the cross, were there? But when did the world discover that Jesus was the Son of God? Paul just told us, God declared it in glory when he raised him from the dead. Now what Jesus treasured his entire life was known to everyone, is known to everyone. What struck me as Kristen was was sharing this, Paul always takes us much deeper than we're able to wrap our brains around, but this amazing truth, right? That that we who know we are children of God, right? We have Christ in us. We are children of God. But but other people look at that and they laugh. <laughs> who do you think you are, right? If you are a child of God, then fill in the blank, right? I mean, the, the same temptations that Jesus faced, we face as well. But, <laughs> beloved, one day, one day, he will speak the command with trumpet sound, right? Uh, Christ will declare our names and the world will know what right now you treasure in your heart. The world will know that you are a child of God when you are resurrected to be with Jesus. We have this hope, amen. So, what do we do in the meantime, right? What, what is this gospel that, that Paul is talking about? What would, I want to ask you a question. What would you say is the primary message of Christianity, right? What is the primary message? I love God that He takes the whole uh, Old Testament and summarizes it in the Shema. Remember that? Uh, he, he says, All of the law and the prophets, the whole Torah, the whole prophets, all of Psalms, all of the historical books in the Old Testament are summed up in these two statements. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. I love it that God can take so glorious a truth and bring the cookies down to a lower shelf where I can get them, right? By the way, somebody left a bag of chocolate cookies here um, last Wednesday night and I want to thank you. I have no shame. I don't know why I'm doing this. I have no shame because I left them in my car, right? And my car got to be about 95 degrees. And so these chocolate cookies were melted. And it didn't deter me one moment. I still went for them, right? I love God that he brings truth down. He brings the cookies to a lower shelf. He brings truth down to a place where we can grasp it. And I want to suggest to you that, that we can know this primary message of Christianity. We can, we can understand what Christianity is all about, and we can even share that with other people. God might, be, might use you to be the one that enables someone to say, I get it now, I understand. So, so, um, this commission of Jesus is a powerful one. But I want to begin our study. Our series is called Not Ashamed of the Gospel. And we don't say that belligerently. We, we, we just have come to that place where we're no longer hiding the fact that we trust in God completely. Where, where His message has taken root in our heart. And not only do we believe it, but we believe that it's such good news for everyone that they should believe it Two, but I want to go back today especially and really ask that question what is the gospel and I want to take you back to the origins of the word gospel right because it's not a word that 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 Jesus created or John the Baptist created it was a word that was already in use in the Roman world in which they lived it was a term now watch this it was a term that applied to, uh, to any historical event of such significance, of such significance, that it actually changed the destiny of those to whom it was proclaimed. Uh, we're, we're, this is getting beyond the flannel graphs, isn't it? This is a truth. That changes the destiny of those to whom it's proclaimed. What do I mean? Well, well, if if they don't know, they don't know what they're missing, right? But when they hear it, they have a choice. They have a choice when they hear the gospel, and their choice determines the destiny that is set before them. So, for example, when uh, when the Caesar Augustus, this this emperor of Rome, was born, they considered that gospel, right? Because They believed that it would usher in a new era of prosperity uh, and blessing from all the gods of the Roman world and their myriad gods of the Roman world, right? And what Christians did was take that concept that the Romans, uh, the the children of the Greeks, the Romans understood and, and, and summed it up as the central message about Jesus Christ and said, When I was in seminary, one of my favorite authors was a man named Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he, I remember, had such a powerful illustration of gospel. Can I share it with you? When a king went off to war and lost, right, and lost he would immediately send the generals back throughout all the cities and villages of the, of the country that lost the battle. And he would prepare those people for the reality that was to come, right? The battle had been lost and the enemy would soon advance and kill or take into captivity anyone that was a part of that country. So the generals would come back and say, I'm so sorry, the battle's been lost, you are on your own. You better figure this out, right? And by the way, Israel is particularly good at scattering. They would go and live in caves. They would go and hide in that situation. If anybody wanted to live, they were going to need to fight for their lives. Their livelihood, their hope, their future was essentially in their own hands. Okay? But, but, what would happen if the battle was won? Right? Right? Now, the generals wouldn't go out, right? The generals would stay with the victors. They would take captives in their train. That doesn't mean like train choo-choo. That doesn't mean like robe. It means they would follow behind and they would lead this glorious procession back home. And they would have an amazing victory celebration, not unlike we do with sports teams, uh, parades, and celebrations of the amazing victory, right? These men were not generals. They were just simply messengers. They spectacular stories of people running 20, 30 miles, right, to bring a message and dying after they passed that message on. But the message was so good that they had to carry it back to the people. The messengers, or here's that word, evangelists, right, were carrying this good news message. And, and good news is the, is the Greek word gospel, right? That the victory had already been won. Now step out of the history for a second and hear that truth. The gospel message is the message that the victory's already been won. Right? You don't need to fear. Oh, you're still gonna have crops fail, you're still gonna have oh, yeah, you'll still have trials, but the victory has been won. Your livelihood, your hope, your future has been secured on behalf of your king, right? And, and, and you didn't have to do anything. It's been done for you. you just got to believe that message. Are you seeing the parallels here? Lloyd-Jones goes on to say that the difference between sending generals and sending um, messengers is the difference between religion and gospel. We're going to explore that for these next eight weeks. But that difference between generals coming with bad news, you're on your own, and messengers, uh, and literally angels, right, coming uh, to tell you that the victory had been won is the difference between gospel and religion. Let's look at just today, just briefly. And we'll explore this more in the weeks to come. The gospel versus religion, right? The gospel is, is news about what Jesus has done for us, right? The, Jesus has won the victory for us. The, our general has won. We don't need to fear, right? But religion are instructions about what we must do for God or Jesus, right? Let me say that again in case you're missing it. The gospel is news about what Jesus has done. Religion is instructions about what we must do. The gospel elicits joy and gratitude. Hallelujah, right? And you know what this is like. You've, you've received good news. Um, we got a, a, a tremendous prayer request a few weeks ago, and, and several of you were deeply involved in praying for us, and, and, and then we got the good news, right? We got the news, good news. The baby's fine. The baby's good, right? And, and we just, thank you, God. Thank you. It elicits joy and gratitude. Right? I couldn't do that myself, God. But you could and you did. Religion, you're on your own, Dave. elicits fear and stress, right? You've got to do this yourself. The Gospel sends messengers. Don't miss this, beloved. Because I know most of us believe the gospel. The gospel sends messengers to tell other people, right? This isn't just good news for me or for us. This is good news for everyone, right? The gospel sends messengers to spread that good news that our lives are now safe because of King Jesus' victory. But religion still sends commanders who tell people they must fight for themselves if they want to save their lives. I don't mean to destroy most people when they say, most Christians, when they say religion, they don't mean all the things I just said. But step a giant step back from, from Christianity and, and look at religions, and you'll, you'll see that what I'm saying is true. And let's not communicate to people that Christianity is just another religion, right? It's not. It's an invitation to relationship with the victor. With Christ, so so, what is the message then of Christianity? Right, the heart of Christianity is the gospel, and as we said, gospel simply means good news. It's a word used by Jesus and the early church to describe the core message and uh, of Christianity, the core content of Christianity. Now, let me just say, this is going to sound weird to you, but there's not really one way to say the message. And, and not everybody understands it. If I just get the, the eight words right, then I'll be in God's good graces. No, no, because the gospel applies to every situation of life, and so it looks slightly different depending on every situation. The truth is not different, but the expression of the gospel may, may look differently. Do you remember during the weeks of... Uh, Leading up to Holy Week, we looked at one of the earliest expressions of the gospel together. John proclaimed it. Jesus proclaimed it. Do you remember it? The message was this. Repent. Right? Help me. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right? That was gospel. The kingdom of heaven has come. It's, It's here, right next to you. Right? That's great news. And many received it. But last week, that news took a, a tremendous turn. It was, it was fleshed out even in more detail, right? And, and with three simple words, we, we expressed the truth of the Gospel. And we said together, He has risen, did we not? And you agreed, He has risen indeed. That's such a powerful expression of the Gospel. But imagine now that you are hearing that for the first time. You have no context. Who? Who? <laughs> Who has what, risen from what? Uh, um, at some point, oftentimes we have to go more in depth and say, what is the power behind that message? And that's what I want to do with you, if I could, over the next eight weeks or so. We're going to, just like we kind of built and defined a, 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 an understanding of what temptation was over the last seven weeks, I want to, I want to build together an understanding, not just an intellectual understanding, but uh an experiential understanding of what this gospel is. It will include the core content of the message, but it will also include the methods that Jesus used to, uh, to communicate that gospel to other people. So I want to pick up today where we left off last Sunday, Resurrection Day, right, and continue to build our understanding of this gospel. Now, we just heard it in Romans 1, 1 through 6. But, but Paul is in rare form there. All the elements are there. And we'll unpack them over the coming weeks. But I'm going to try and bring that, those cookies down a little lower today and go to a simpler expression of that gospel message from the same man, from Paul, together. Would you turn with me in your Bibles or open up the Bible app on your phone and go to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. And we're going to begin right at the beginning Of that passage. 1 Corinthians 15. Follow along with me. Have you you got a chance to get there yet? Corinthians is uh, one of the letters of the Apostle Paul. Right after the Gospels. Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. Go to chapter 15. and Beginning at verse 1. In the words of the Apostle Paul. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the Gospel I preached to you. Which you received... "...in which you stand..." He's speaking to you and me today. "...and by which you are being saved." We'll explore that in the weeks ahead. "...if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance..." The Gospel is primary. "...as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures." that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that he appeared, Cephas is the old name for Peter, he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at the same time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died or fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, Paul says, He appeared also to me. The very Word of God. Wow. Wow. Okay, so so Paul's taking us from the core three words. He has risen. He's taking us to a little bit broader explanation of that Gospel, right? What is that? That, that Christ died for our sins according to the Gospel, right? According, excuse me, according to the Scriptures. Now, uh, next week... We're going to explore how the gospel didn't start when Jesus went to the cross. It started in, in Genesis 1, and it extends all the way to Revelation, right? Um, it starts, it, it, the gospel incorporates all of scriptures, and, and in our rush sometimes to, to um, identify with Jesus, we make him like us. We don't realize that Jesus was the fulfillment of, of the Scriptures, that for thousands of years, people had longed to encounter the truth that you have right here before you today. They longed for this day. So you, among all people, are uniquely blessed with this truth, right? Christ died, and He died exactly as Isaiah 53 said he would, as the scriptures prophesied that he would. Christ died. But look at that that second phrase. His his death had meaning and purpose, right? He died for our sins. Again, Paul would say, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ's death had purpose. He died bearing the cost of our sins according to the Scriptures. Now, I chose the second point, uh, not, not mentioning right here that he was buried. To me, that he was buried is just proof that he died, right? Um, and it did not say right there, according to the Scriptures, though the Scriptures prophesied that. So I'm thinking that the second major point that we got to get here is last week's point that Christ rose from the dead according to... To the scriptures. That powerful message. He has risen. um, Changes everything. If he had remained dead. Then you and I had nothing. That he was just another person. Dying for a worthy cause. Right? But God raised him. From the dead. He's no longer in the tomb. Why Protestants have an empty cross is because there's nobody on it anymore. Why we celebrate an empty tomb is because there's nobody in it anymore, right? Christ is alive and seated at the right hand of God the Father right now and praying for us, praying for you right now that you would understand this great news. He's won the victory over sin, over disease, right? Over even death, Christ has won the victory. But but Paul is very careful here to to remind us that he also appeared. Now, I, I think initially when I was grappling with this, uh, even, even relatively recently, I was seeing that that appearance was proof that he'd risen from the dead, right? That, that he'd risen from the dead. And it is. I mean, he appeared, and Paul names them, but... At one point, to 500 people at one time. But but it's more than just proof that he's risen. It's also this promise that one day we will all appear before Jesus, right? We will all stand before him. And we are not yet there except by faith. Uh, But Paul was. Remember that road to Damascus? Paul literally stood before Jesus and he names all those who did. The 500 brothers. Uh, He appeared to James. Then to all the apostles. And last of all, Paul wasn't in that upper room that night. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. Beloved, one day Christ is going to appear again. Christ is coming again. It's repeated over and over and over again. The general is going to return back, right? And it's going to be an amazing celebration. But let me put it slightly differently. Christ is coming again, and you're going to stand before him. How do you want to be when you stand before him? And I'm talking about not just Christians. Everyone is going to stand before him. And if we miss that, then we're not being honest with the people that we are loving and, and leading and trying to share the gospel with. Everyone, man, woman, child, everyone is going to appear before Christ. The question is not whether we'll appear. The question is in in will it be a time of celebration and reunion, or will it be a time of judgment, right, and and tears. Christ did appear. And will appear according to the scriptures. Christ will come again. So we've taken our simple understanding. He has risen. Absolutely true. And we put it a little bit more in context. We said that that before he rose from the dead, he died for a purpose. Right? And, and we are that purpose. As you're sharing the gospel with people, you are that purpose. Christ died for your sin. How will you respond to him? And then we looked at the back half and said just as he did appear to his apostles so he will appear, watch this, to his apostles. Now I'm pushing you and we'll explore this more. He will appear to the ones who go in his name, the sent ones. I'm so honored to to consider myself a disciple with you. We are followers. Amen? We're learners. Slow learners, but we're learners, right? Speaking of myself, we are men and women who desire to be like our Master. Amen? Right? Uh, and, And I'm so honored to be a disciple with you. But God is sending us out to a world that does not know Him. I, I'm not looking for titles, and I don't want you to use titles. It gets really confusing. You're not a capital A apostle. You are a small A apostle. You are a sent one who God has entrusted the treasure of his gospel to. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? Are you going to bury it so that you can present it back to him? See, Jesus, I, here's the gospel you entrusted to me. I, I kept it safe. Or are you going to put it out there and let it bear fruit? And let it bear fruit among people that don't yet know Jesus, right? So, so the message of the gospel is powerful. We've expanded a little bit. We'll continue to expand it these whole eight weeks. But the method for sharing the gospel is going to be important for us as well. Let me broach this by asking three questions, right? When I'm trying to, in, or by sharing with you three questions, I'm going to ask you three questions in a little while. Sharing with you three questions that help you bridge into uh, uh, the ability to share the gospel, right? When I remember, remember the restaurant, ladies? Remember that? Remember the, what do we do, right? What do we say? We say, um, we're going to ask God's blessing on our food, right? Is there any way I can pray for you, right? Have you tried that? Have you tried that? Several of you had. And uh, many times they will share something. Many times they will leave, say no thanks, and then they'll come back later. Every time you do that, you share with them that you are a spiritual person who may have resources that they can benefit from, right? So, so when when you're looking to share in uh, spiritual conversations with people, you can start with this: How can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? When you're prayer walking, I don't know if Sarah's still in here. When you're prayer walking, she was telling me a story in her neighborhood last week, and and and, and people see you and begin to talk with you. Yeah. Talk about the weather. Talk about uh, what's going on. Um, but then, but then say, is there any way that I can pray for you? Right? Um, virtually everybody I talk to that does that says people never turn them down. Even people that don't believe in God don't turn them down. I'm sorry, I'm smiling because I came over to the church yesterday afternoon, and um, as I was leaving, I saw our neighbors uh, talking. Uh, two of our neighbors were talking, and, and I didn't think about it. I kind of wanted to talk with them, but I had a lot of stuff to do, so I came back over here. And then as I was walking back to the church, uh, excuse me, back home across that field, uh, it was like God just said, um, uh, ask him. Ask him what exciting thing is going on in his life. I knew immediately what, what, what exciting thing was going on in his life because I'm in that same place. I'm in that exciting place in my life. And so I went up to Scott. Scott does not know what to do with me. He does not. I think I scare him half to death. He's a believer, but he just doesn't know what to do with me. And, um, and, and I said, Scott, anything exciting going on in your life? And he said, You talked to my wife, didn't you? You talked to my wife. And his wife works at the, at the Christian bookstore. And they and, and said, No, Scott, I didn't. But God just gave me an amazing sense of joy for you on the way over here. And he said, Yeah, October. We're going to have our first child. So... Um, amazing things happen when you risk sharing uh, with people. When you say, you know, what's going on in your life? How can I pray for you? Another question. Uh, so many people will let you pray. This is going to take amazing courage. But if the door is still open when you're done, considering saying this, would you consider yourself far from God or near to God? Right? Would you consider yourself far from God or near to God? Now, here's what's really important, right? Right? We're not using some technique. We're trying to, to share our lives with people. You got to listen to what they say, right? Without judgment or, or condemnation. You got to listen to what they say, and, and you would be amazed that people will say, "Well, well, I used to feel near to God, but I, I, I don't now." Or they'll they'll open a door for you. Step through that. Listen to their story, and if God would allow, at any point, the person. Can can stop stop the train and you love on them and let them go, but but if the door is still open, then you could say something like this: Is there? Do you have two minutes where I can show you a picture of what changed my life and helped me draw near to God? And and I want to introduce you to. Um, I uh, I was going to put napkins in your bulletins this morning. And the message of the napkin would be that you can do this anywhere in a restaurant and in, in, at the dinner table. You don't need a Bible. You don't need anything. You just need a pencil and a napkin and you can share the gospel. Can I do that with you today? Now, it's going to go by you really fast. And, uh, and I mean it for because I, it's, it's a two or three minute conversation that you can have with people. It's going to go by you really fast. And ideally, I would draw it on a map or or be drawing it as I go, but you wouldn't be able to see it. And so Maddie and I are going to try and tag team here, and and I'm going to show you what I would be drawing on a napkin. And it took me 24 PowerPoint slides to do this. But it's going to go by fast. So why don't you keep your eyes on... um, on the screen and see it, and then I'll give you help afterwards if you'd like to know where you can go and, and uh, see this more in depth. So the person says, yes, I just broke my pen. If You can say, yes, yeah, I got two minutes. You got two minutes, right? Then, then you draw the first circle, right? Everywhere we look in our world, we see brokenness. Our world and even we ourselves are broken and imperfect. But when God created the world, this was not his desire. In fact, he actually had a perfect design in mind. And and you can still see traces of that original design. Like the beauty of a sunset or, or the laugh of a child, right? That's because God's design, his plan was beautiful. There was no death or suffering in it. But starting with the very first people, notice I didn't say Adam and Eve, starting with the very first people, We left God's design, which led to brokenness. That leaving of God's design we call sin. And sin is anything we do that falls short of God's beautiful design. We are born into brokenness and sin in our lives. But we don't like brokenness. We don't want to stay in brokenness. We try and get out, right? Some of us try to escape by climbing the ladder of success. We think that somehow if I just perform better... I'll escape this brokenness. Other people try to be religious, right? And be a better person or maybe help more people. Still others try to draw to drown their suffering in alcohol or drugs or illicit relationships, even even suicide attempts, right? But none of these attempts to escape brokenness Get us out. Like, like springs. And that's why I draw it like a spring. Like springs, they snap us back into brokenness. But God has a plan to restore us. That plan is Jesus. Now Jesus is God become flesh who came down, arrow down, into our broken world and lived a life without sin. He was perfect. He had no sin. And He who had no sin was willing to bear the consequences of our sin and die on the cross, right? To be God's perfect sacrifice for sin. And on the third day, He who came down, He who died on the cross, rose from the dead so that we could be restored back to God's design. And now Jesus, this very Jesus, tells us no matter who we are, no matter what we've done or what's been done to us, how we can get back, right? How we can draw near to God. He tells us that there'll be two things. Turn, he says. Turn from your life of sin and living life your own way. Humble yourself and turn, right? And then choose to believe and follow Jesus. Make Him your boss. Make Him your king. Make Him the Lord of your life. If we choose to do that, if we choose to turn and follow, we can come to Jesus and through Jesus come to God and Jesus promises to restore us back to God's design. And the best thing happens when we do that. All of God comes into us and changes us, right? All of God comes into us and and changes us and helps us to do two things. To grow. To grow. I love the little lines. To grow in our relationship with Jesus so that becomes stronger. But also, and this isn't on your drawing, take a uh, take an arrow from God's plan all the way back to the broken world. To go, not only to grow more like Jesus, but to go back into that world of brokenness and help other people discover what we've discovered. How they can come near to God. How they can find wholeness themselves. And right here, then you could say, and some of you might be experiencing this for the very first time, so I say to you, who might be hearing and understanding for the very first time, does what I'm saying make sense You know, it's oversimplification, but in a sense, there's two kinds of people, right? There's people who are still in brokenness. And there's people through whom Jesus has returned us to God, whom Jesus has returned to God's original design. Which are you? Where do you find yourself? Okay? Brokenness, I understand. I've experienced that brokenness too. But where do you want to be? Where do you want to be? Back in God's design? Or what's keeping you? What's keeping you from returning back to the way God designed? When I first chose to follow Jesus, I I prayed a prayer that I only later discovered was just like this drawing that I've just drawn for you this morning. I prayed, God, I'm very sorry for my sin, for the way that I've broken your heart. I want to turn from my way and believe that you came, died on a cross for my sin, rose from the dead to break the power of sin in my life, to break the fear, God, that I'm living in. And I prayed, God, I ask for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, Jesus, will you be king? Of my life, and then you can say to that person, "Is that a prayer that you would like to pray right now?" Now understand that we're called to make disciples who make disciples, right? That that faith is a journey of a lifetime. But God may just allow you to be that amazing person that is privileged to be the harvester, to help someone move. From an eternity apart from Christ to an eternity with Christ. And and then to walk with them as they learn what it means to be a follower of, of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you three questions this morning. Now step away from the story. Now I'm talking to you, beloved. To the congregation of all of that. Do you believe the gospel? Do you believe the gospel? Paul said in Romans 10, the word is near you. It's, it's near right now. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That word of faith that we proclaim, that gospel that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. Do you believe this? Last week we said, Jesus said, I'm the resurrection of life. Do you believe this? I ask in you, do you believe this gospel message? But secondly, do you share the gospel with others? Do you share? I'll take you back to our passage from Romans 1. Jesus Christ is Lord through whom we have received grace and he has sent us to bring about the obedience of faith For the sake of his name, where? Among all the people groups, among the ethnos, among the nations, right? Including even you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Do you share the gospel with others? You don't have to do it the way that we did it this morning. God will lead you. But are you looking to share the gospel? And and if you don't share it, do you really believe it? Right? Especially the magnitude of the message. If you don't share that, do you really believe the message to be true? And, and I'm learning. I, it's, not, it's not my nature, my people-pleasing nature, but I'm learning to ask the hard questions too. Um, if you don't share it, are you ashamed of it? Uh, have people humiliated you? Uh, my, my daughter in a, in a freshman college class and down the street four miles away, so she's stupid if she believes the gospel message, right? She was put in that place, and many of us have been, and many of you may be in that place right now, where if you identify as a follower of Jesus, people will discount you, people will ridicule you, right? And, and, and sometimes it's easier to start to care more about what they think than what God thinks, right? Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, right? For it is the power of God. Anybody need the power of God? It is the power of God unto salvation. Well, lastly, what will you do? What will you do in response? Some of you, some of you, God is saying, you need to make a public declaration of your faith. There's just something that happens when you do that. Others of you have done that. You've publicly identified with Jesus Christ, but you've not been baptized. There's something very important that happens when you obey God. You receive grace in your time of need. Still, others of you need to overcome your self-condemnation or possibly the condemnation of others and believe that you are welcome in the presence of Jesus and run into it. We put it differently, uh, Hebrews, boldly approach the throne of grace because it is the season of grace now. It will not always be. Tomorrow might be different, but today is the season of grace, and Jesus invites you to boldly approach that throne of grace. Some of you need to say, I'm, I'm going to overcome my own self condemnation and come back to the table of the Lord. I'm going to remember Jesus today. I'm going to remember what he's done, but also whom he's sent. And I am going to obey. I'm going to obey. Pray with me, would you? God, thank you so much for the gospel. Thank you that there's real power in it, God. Thank you for, um, for reminding us of how simple it is, God. And then also for challenging us to take this gospel and to believe it ourselves, But then also, God, to risk sharing it with people who might reject us to overcome our fear of rejection so that others might hear, God, and be saved. And then, thank you, God, that as often as we come to this table, there's grace for us in our time of need. Take this simple bread, would you, God? Make it. Make it the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Infuse it with your presence, God, so that as we partake of it, we are literally partaking of grace, God, for our time of need. And then, God, in this cup, we remember the blood of Christ, that his life was shed so that we might have life. And we drink him in, God, the spiritual presence of Jesus. We drink him in through this cup and declare to the world that he lives now in us. And we will live in him. So take this juice, God, and make it the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And meet us here. In, in the beauty of our worship, God, speak to us of eternal things. And we will give you the glory and the praise in Christ's name. Amen. Will our servers please come forward? The Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup of redemption. And he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. In other words, we've got a great opportunity for a new beginning right here. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And, and you've heard me say it so many times. You could say the words yourself. But the same guy who was teaching us today, the Apostle Paul, said, whenever you do this, guess what? You proclaim the gospel until he comes. Let's start proclaiming the gospel right now. Amen? Again, I just invite you. Um, I always say to the Lord, search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious ways. I have anxious ways. See if there's any hurtful way in me, God, and lead me in the way everlasting. Allow Jesus to take those heavy burdens. Come, would you, to the table of the Lord. We're going to begin today with those of you in the very back and make your way down whichever aisle is most convenient for you. And and we invite you if you join me over here. We invite you uh, to come, take the bread, to dip it in the cup, and then to partake. Again, if you, um, if you are at that place where um, you're not comfortable taking communion this way, stay where you are, catch the eyes of Donna Cully, and she'll bring the elements to you. Okay.